You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here. That's what you've earned here tonight. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms. And remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch because we know when we add up all those inches, that, that, that's going to make the f***ing difference between winning and losing. It's down to the wire with, with, with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Oh, Petey! On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Errol Marks. And my co-host, Speedy Petey. As you know, you can call us at 631-965-4990. Remember, you could also follow us by going to our website. How do you do that? You go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. You can follow us on all the social media platforms. How do you do that? You go to Twitter. You go to Instagram. You go to Facebook. You go to YouTube. You go to iHeartRadio. TuneIn Radio. You go to Radio.com. You go to all the digital platforms. We are out there. Follow us if you guys aren't following us. And I'm telling you guys, if you're not following us, at least follow this ugly mug over here. Follow this guy right here, Mr. Speedy Petey, a.k.a. Kyle Kloiber. I'm just kidding, Speedy. As you guys know, we have a lot of sports to talk about. We have a special guest, Mike Hepp, from a race, uh, from Drag, um, drag Racing. What is, drag what is, Racing for Recovery. Drag Racing for Recovery. We'll get him on the line. Speedy, you're, you're supposed to add these things in for me over here. So, uh, But first things first, Speedy, what did you do last night? And did you have anything or do anything stupid? Uh, yeah, I had a crazy night with you and your new friend that you made yesterday. Well, it's funny because we actually went to the Turtle yesterday. And it's on 347. Speedy's never been there. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting down and we were talking sports. We were watching games and... Again, I asked Speedy, does he spank his monkey? And he keeps Because naturally, that's all he asks. Well, <laughs> insi- you know, I was consistent on asking him this question. And oh, we I- know. Obviously, the people that were working there were listening to the conversation, and they were wondering if he was going to answer the question. And what was your answer to that, Speedy? I don't want to abuse the poor creature. Yeah, the poor little creature. So if you guys know what spanking your monkey is and you want to give some information to Speedy, all you have to do is call him at 631-965-4990. But uh, we actually had a guest sitting right next to us. He was from St. Louis. We were watching the St. Louis Blues versus the Florida Panthers last night. And we were talking and... He actually came into the conversation with me, and we attacked Speedy the whole night. It was really, really fun. I enjoyed it. Um, yes, I'm we, sure you did. We, we actually had uh, the bartender actually making jokes and cracking jokes about Speedy as well. So if you guys want to go to the Turtle, all you have to do is go to 347, and you can check him out right next to Carabas. And if you want to bring Speedy along and you want to pay for his dinner and make fun of him and have a little cool, fun time, well, then you take Speedy with you. He's a cheap date. <laughs> not at this rate, I might need to drink more. <laughs> Actually, you're not a cheap date, but uh, you're you're a fun you're a fun person to go out with because uh, 
the laugh's on you most of the time. So that, that's good, and he takes it, and it's really, really funny, and we have everybody laughing at the bar. So they enjoyed us being there, and we have new fans, obviously. So And 20 people in a poker game that was right next to us. That's too. another thing. <laughs> that I, was weird. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that people play poker in a bar, and it's actually legalized. Because mm-hmm. usually when you're betting and you're playing poker... You do it underground. You don't do it in a bar or you don't do it in a, a sports bar where you can get caught and get arrested. But obviously, uh, it's legalized. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not money that they're investing into and Maybe it's just prizes or something. I'm like not that. sure, yeah. I, I don't know the deal over there. They, at they were loud, too. <laughs> they were. But I had a good time. Uh, we met a new friend, uh, Mr. Gaza, and... Uh, he was from St. Louis. We were talking about the Stanley Cup Finals last uh, from last year. That I was on. I was at the Stanley Cup Finals in Boston, and I was on on the ice when they were hoisting the cup. And 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 it was just it was interesting. It really was because you got to get to know somebody from another state, and he it, he wasn't as unique as you would think he was. He was just like a New Yorker, just a little more less thorough, like we are. We we pretty much go straight at your jugular. Uh, St. Louis people don't do that, so <laughs> at least he doesn't. So, <laughs> but he was taking shots at you, Speedy. So I yeah, enjoyed I it. know. <laughs> I enjoyed yes, it. You did. I enjoyed it. But we have a lot of sports to talk about today, and we have a special guest at seven o'clock. So I want to get in to this particular story. Stories are coming out right now in San Francisco that Kyle Shanahan does not think Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback of the future of this organization. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo was the same quarterback that took them to the Super Bowl last year. Now, give or, give or take, you would think that it was the defense, and a lot of people are going to get the defense a lot of credit with Nick Bosa and that front seven that they have, all those number one draft picks. But you think of Jimmy Garoppolo, and I've taken shots at Jimmy Garoppolo ever since he got hurt. He's not, a, he's not a confident quarterback. He likes to stay in the pocket. Every time he moves out of the pocket, he's rushing the throw, and it's inaccurate. Now there are stories coming out of the um, of the um, NFL Minnesota Vikings. I'm sorry that Minnesota might be interested in trading Kirk Cousins. Now, if that's the case, and Cousins has two years left on his contract, no, he has one one year left on his contract. I'm sorry. And Kyle Shanahan, who was his offensive coordinator when he was over there in Washington with his father. Mike Shanahan, mm-hmm. and losing in the Super Bowl against a team that you were up by almost 10 points with seven minutes left of the game, maybe he thinks that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't the quarterback of the future of the San Francisco 49ers. But it beats the hell out of me. Why would you give him $130 million when he became a, when he became a 49er? If you didn't think... That Jimmy Garoppolo was worth the money that you gave him. And I don't think they really did. No, they were basing it off a hot five-game sample. Six games. went off of six games in terms of five wins. Mm -hmm. And going off against great defenses like Jacksonville that year and and Tennessee, who was also a playoff team, they took that into account. But in reality, we've seen an ACL tear and we've seen a, a good season, but not the best quarterback in the league, like a $30 million quarterback would be paid like. And they're talking about Dak Prescott. I mean, the, the, the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott's free a, a, a agent right now 
is talking about getting Dak the biggest contract in NFL history for a quarterback. And Dak Prescott, even though he had a great sensational year statistically, the Cowboys didn't make the playoffs. And you have to look at that. You, you always look at the quarterback. Is he going to take you to the playoffs every single year? Is he going to give you a chance to win every single year? If you ask me, Jimmy Garoppolo has answered those questions the last couple of years. Now, last year he came off, he's coming off a big, significant injury. He tore his ACL and MCL, and he's coming back from a significant injury. And coming back from his injury, he took him to a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Now, they lost in the Super Bowl against, to me, the better quarterback and the better team. But... When, you, when you're talking about the offseason right now, Tom Brady has been in conversation with the 49ers, trading Jimmy Garoppolo back to the Patriots and bringing in Tom Brady because Tom Brady is a 49ers fan. He grew up a 49ers fan, a Joe Montana fan. He wants to bring a championship home to the 49ers before he retires, and he wants to win a championship without mm-hmm. a Bill Belichick. That's interesting, too. Could, could that be some crazy three-way swap, then? Maybe Garoppolo gets traded back to the Patriots. The Vikings get Tom Brady. Maybe as a two-year rental or something like that. Draft a quarterback, and the Niners get Cousins. And now you're talking about Kirk Cousins, which I believe that's Kyle Shanahan's number one target. Why is it his number one target? Because Kirk Cousins knows his offense. Kirk Cousins knows how to throw the ball in his offense. Maybe Jimmy doesn't. Now, I, Jimmy played well, but I, again, they had a very good running game this year. They had one of the best running, running games in football. Number two overall, yeah. They had, a t- they had a three-headed monster, and they ran the ball probably about 70% of the time. They didn't depend on Jimmy Garoppolo's arm. And if you watch the Minnesota Vikings, they did depend on Kirk Cousins' arm this year. Now, I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know. I am not a coach, and I'm not a GM. But in Kyle Shanahan's eyes, obviously he believes Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. And numbers will show you that Kirk Cousins is one of the top five, top seven quarterbacks in the league in the last three years. Now, numbers don't show everything. Because even though Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't amongst the league's top ten in any category last year, he still brought his team to the Super Bowl. And he still was seven minutes away from winning a championship for the 49ers after 25-year drought. Well, also a couple inches on that last throw that he should have made. Every quarterback makes mistakes, especially a quarterback who's never played in a Super Bowl before. How many playoff games did Jimmy Garoppolo played in before None this particular year? None as a starter. He's never done it. So this was his first time in the playoffs, and he took a team all the way to the Super Bowl. Now, McCown... He went in the playoffs last year, and he was in, I think he was in the AFC title game last year, if I'm not mistaken. Josh McCown? Uh, not, not McCown, I'm sorry. Mahomes. Mahomes, yeah. You know who I'm talking about, Speedy. Mahomes has played in the playoffs. He's been in the playoffs. He's been there before. Jimmy Garoppolo was never there before. And the fact that Kyle Shanahan is giving up on his quarterback already after giving him a $130 million contract almost two years ago, and he missed practically, well, he did miss a full season of, of football and a half a season the year before that. And you put pressure on this kid knowing that you're already thinking about trading him? To me, that's a bad move by Kyle Shanahan. Bad move by John Lynch and really 
the 49ers organization. Yeah, I, I don't understand it either because you're giving up on something that already fits not only with your offense but also those receivers. Now these receivers, which aren't very good in the first place, have to get used to a new quarterback, have to get used to a new system as a whole. Because Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo are two very different when it comes to skill sets. But again, Kyle Shanahan did coach him in Washington. Again, very similar situation. But the Redskins had better receivers than what the 49ers did then. I wouldn't too. say that either. Yeah. I, uh, I would. Who did he throw to? In Besides Reed. Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson. He's better than any receiver the Niners have. I'm not saying he was great. How many, t- how many games did Deshaun Jackson play in the last two years for the Redskins? He didn't play a lot. He was injury. Right. He was an injury 16 and 17. Right. I know that. I'm talking about 2015 when Kirk Cousins had that great season with Kyle Shanahan. The Redskins made the playoffs that year. Deshaun Jackson had a good season. Not, again, not what he was in his prime, but still was a good receiver. And I would say better than what the Niners have right now. Well, again, I, I wouldn't say better than the Niners have right now. They still have Emmanuel Sanders, Sanders who they want to bring back. A man, Emmanuel Sanders, who is a good wide receiver. Now, is he taking steps back? Yes. He's been in a league for about eight years. He's been an elite wide receiver for about four years. Last year, he finally, you could see him taking a step back. That's why the Broncos traded him. But the 49 he's still a, a, a profitable, good wide receiver who's going to give you at least between 750 and 1,000 yards every single year. He's still going to give you that right now. Yeah, I'm still going to take 31-year-old Deshaun Jackson over 32-year-old Emmanuel Sanders. <laughs> Nobody's saying that you wouldn't, Speedy. Okay, but you're saying that the 49 We're not talking about the Redskins. <laughs> We're not talking about the Redskins. Where is Deshaun Jackson playing right now? Philly. Okay, how many games did he play this year? Three. Okay. How many games did Emmanuel Sanders play with the injuries he had this year? I think six. He played more than that. Okay. All right. So, and he played in the playoffs. So, again, you're talking about two guys, one guy that's been injury prone for the last three years, and another guy that has played practically almost every single game until this year. Yeah, but I'm not comparing what they are now. I'm comparing what they were in 2015. Well, again, I'm not comparing. Of course, you can't compare what they were. I'm not comparing them from 2015. I'm comparing them now. I'm looking at them now as a franchise. And Jimmy Garoppolo being there. And they still have weapons there. They still have enough weapons to win because they had enough weapons to be seven minutes left of the game where they could have won a Super Bowl. You don't need a great offense to win Super Bowls. You don't. You need to make timely plays at timely situations. Jimmy didn't do that in the game. Mahomes did. And that's why everybody's talking about including Kyle Shanahan and moving away from this kid who I believe still could win a championship with the 49ers. It is wrong what Kyle Shanahan is doing to this kid. Now, I understand this kid likes to be in the tabloids. He likes to (laughs) hang out with porno stars and strippers and whatever he likes to do off the field. And that's his thing. Whatever he wants to do off the field, as long as he's not doing any drugs or driving a car drunk or beating up a woman, domestic violence, or any of the stuff that we've heard throughout the NFL for the last couple of years, I don't give a crap what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing, or who he's hanging out with. I don't even care if he does a sex tape. (laughs) If it makes him happy, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't affect the NFL. It doesn't affect the San Francisco 49ers. And it doesn't affect Jimmy Garoppolo. Right now, this poor kid is being daggled. He's being daggled throughout the league because the Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch... Don't believe in him. And if I was Jimmy Garoppolo right now, 
I want out. Because you're hearing not one, but two quarterbacks being mentioned in replacing him after being in a Super Bowl. And I told you, seven minutes away, up 10 against a team that they shouldn't, to me, were not even close to as good as. And I don't care what anybody says. A lot of people thought San Francisco was better on paper. They were, the about, they, were they were close. I, I don't was. think so. You I think don't the think the Chiefs so. were a lot better on I paper? Think, I, I wouldn't say a lot better, but they were better. Okay, that's fair. They were better. And you're going to blame Jimmy Garoppolo for that that loss against the Kansas City Chiefs? When you played against a coach that has been there before, who's never won before? Kyle Shanahan, you could say whatever you want about Kyle Shanahan. Yes, he, he, he's been a coach in a Super Bowl. But he wasn't the head coach. He was an offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. And by the way, he bombed that game. No, stop. The defense bombed that no, game. No, he bombed that game. The Making mistakes. That game. He should have ran the ball, like I told you, all three downs. He didn't, and that cost him a field goal, which cost him a game. That cost him 40 seconds, which the Patriots could have sped up anyway. They didn't. They, they didn't could have, should have, would have, but right. they didn't. They didn't, have to, they didn't need to because they could have move faster anyway on that final drive. They actually, fa- they actually scored earlier than they could have. They could have taken more time off the clock. My facts to the situation is this kid's name should not be in trade talks. Tom Brady should not be on the tongue of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. Right. Tom Brady is an old man. You could say whatever you want, Jeff, Snug, whoever wants to call up and stick up for Tom Brady. He's 43 years old. Jimmy Garoppolo is 29. He's not even in the prime of his career yet. Because he's fought injury for the last year and a half. But once he fi- figures it out, and he's more confident in and out of the pocket, he's going to be a better quarterback. If you ask me, numbers-wise, Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. No doubt about it. Kirk Cousins is 33 years old. That's four years the elder to Jimmy Garoppolo. That means you have four more years that you would have a Jimmy that you wouldn't have with Kirk Cousins. Maybe it's also injury, though, too, because Kirk Cousins has played on a lot of bad offensive lines that have stayed durable, though, too. So even though the eight That's not why they're trying, they're trying to bring Kirk Cousins in. That's not why they're doing it. No, I don't think so either. He but thinks, I, I think Kyle a, Shannon I, I thinks think it could that be a small fits. factor. He thinks that. Kyle Shanahan thinks that Kirk Cousins fits his offense better than Jimmy. Which, they both only have one-year samples, so it's tricky to tell. Again, like I said, the Redskins were more of a passing team in that 15 season, whereas the Niners are more of a running team. But, again, you're on the Niners now. You have this offensive personnel. I would stick to what works. It would bother me if I was a quarterback of a team in an organization where I got a $130 million contract two years ago, tore my ACL and MCL, Missed a whole year and a half of football. Came back this year. Was the best team in the National Football League all season long. Gave my team a 13. What was it? 13 and 2? 13 and 3. 13 and 3. And they rolled through the playoffs. They rolled through the playoffs and lost against a better team in Kansas City. And a better quarterback in Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And you're going to blame Jimmy Garoppolo? You don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo because of it? What a crock. What a crock. And Kyle Shanahan should be ashamed of himself because if I was Jimmy Garoppolo right now, even if Kirk Cousins isn't available or Tom Brady isn't available right now, I would say, you know what? 
you want to trade me? I want out of here. I don't want to play for your team. I don't want to be a part of this organization. You don't believe in me? You'd rather go after Tom Brady, the same Tom Brady that wanted me out of New England? Remember, they wanted to go after pushed me out of New England and made, made Kraft have Belichick trade me? Well, they wanted Tom Brady at the same time they ended up getting Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, I think the 49ers didn't want to give up as much as the Patriots wanted for him because obviously he was still their elite franchise quarterback at that time, so they didn't want it. Now, Cousins, how available he'll be, I don't know because I don't think he wants to leave the Vikings. And I don't think the Vikings want to get rid of him. I think that's more of Shanahan just hoping for it, and if that's the case, that'll really push the Are price. you kidding me? If Minnesota gets a phone call, Jimmy Garoppolo for Kirk Cousins – I I guarantee well, if it's straight up that's different. I, I guarantee you, Minnesota will drive him to the airport and fly him away. Well, I didn't hear if it was straight up or not. I'm saying I don't think it there's would any. Be. It would be because you're not going to get much back for Jimmy Garoppolo if you're going to give away that contract. Kirk Cousins is under one more year left of his contract, and he's a free agent. And if they're talking about Kirk Cousins going over there on a trade uh, from San Francisco. And he only has one year left. He's going to go to San Francisco anyways next year. So what I would rather do is I would try to get something for Kirk Cousins. And that's why I would trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Because Jimmy Garoppolo has an affordable contract right now. It will be affordable with the new CBA. $30 million. You got Dak Prescott asking for 40 <laughs> I mean, seriously. What's Sam Donald going to get when he becomes a free agent? What Josh Allen going to get when he becomes a free agent? Jimmy Garoppolo got a seven- or eight-year contract, and he's only two years in. He's got another six years left. I would take that contract from San Francisco any day. And if I was Minnesota right now, if you're hearing Kirk Cousins' name into trade talks, I would, I would drive him over there. Well, you yeah, sell high. I would, I would definitely sell high if I'm the Vikings if I'm going to do that. But I'm just saying I don't think he wants to leave as much as Garoppolo could well, want How do you to know that? He's out. had problems with that organization since he's got there. Not really. He kind of enjoyed it there when he first signed there. There's, remember, the Jets he's paid got- him more money, and he wanted to go to Minnesota for a reason. Because they're a better team. Right, but he wanted to go there for a reason. The Niners wanted him. He could have reunited with Shanahan initially. There's a lot of things that could have happened with it, and he liked the, the skill players that they had. It was more him and Thielen at the end of that year was really the only issue. And beyond that, it was really the the receivers that were having trouble and Mike Zimmer that was having trouble. I don't think he, I don't think that's really an issue now. I think it was really only an issue at the end of that season when they were when he even he's Thielen had problems all year with Thielen. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about. When Thielen wasn't hurt, when he was on the field, Thielen threw Kirk Cousins under the bus again this year. Do you not remember in week number thirteen? He that threw was last him. season. No, that was this season. He threw him under the bus again this year. Go look it up. I don't remember that. Well, well, you can remember it when you look it up after we go to break. Because he absolutely threw Kirk Cousins under the bus. And when we do come back from break, I want you to read the story so I can stick it right in your eye. Because you're wrong. Him and Thielen have had problems since the day he came to the Minnesota Vikings. And to me, Thielen is a younger player. And Kirk Cousins is a free agent after this year. And I'm telling you right now, no matter what happens, winning a Super Bowl or not, Minnesota is not bringing back Kirk Cousins. They're not. So you could say whatever you want. He will not be the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings next year. I will guarantee it. So the fact that you can get Jamie Garoppolo for Kirk Cousins and maybe a pick, I would do that in a heartbeat. 
And if I was Minnesota right now, I would ply Jimmy Garoppolo away from that team. Because I think Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, has a lot of years left of football. And I think just his stardom, who he is, his personality, it will sell to the Minnesota fan. It will sell to the fans out there. Because not only is he a fun person to watch on the field, he's also a fun person to watch off the field. (laughs) 631-965-4990 is the number. When we come back, more into football, and we're going to get into some baseball conversation as well when we come back. And and at 7 o'clock, we're going to have Mike Hepp. Yes, the drag racer. He's got a lot to say about his personal life and his background of drag racing here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero is the number. As you know, this is Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Daryl Mark Speedy Petey, in the production chair right now. As you know, you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com and follow us guys if you're not following us on our social medias go to Twitter, go to Instagram, go to Facebook go to Snapchat, go to YouTube go to all the different functions on Digital Sports Radio and you can find us worldwidesportsradio.com worldwidesportsradionetwork.com as you guys know we're talking about Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady I mean this has been the story all over uh, the NFL today, and we have our first call of the day, Brandon from Wisconsin. Am I right, Brandon? Is that your name? Yes, sir. Yep. How's it going today? How are you, my friend? Doing good. Good. I just uh, saw you guys on my feed on Facebook, and I'm liking all the info so far. Awesome. Awesome. What would you like to speak about? Man, uh, I'm really excited uh, to see what the Bears do, uh, you know, for their quarterback competition so uh, you know trying to get some insight on that well it's interesting and, and Speedy's he's got the insight on the Bears because he follows all the things that are going on on and off the field right now here in the offseason and I can't wait until the draft because I know two weeks from now you have free agency but you really don't know what a team is going to do in the draft until they look at the players and the free agents that they're going to bring in it's interesting to me with the Chicago Bears. Last year, Chicago had a lot of problems defensively and offensively. At certain aspects of the game, they couldn't stop the pass, especially in the middle of the field. They were trying to zone at certain aspects of the game. They couldn't stop They couldn't stop the wide receivers. They couldn't stop the slot wide receivers in the middle of the field. That was a problem with them all season long. I look at Chicago right now. They're going to ride on Khalil, uh, uh, Khalil Mack. They're going to ride on him because... Mac is, to me, the most dominant defensive player in football today. And I, I'm not saying that because I, I'm a Jet fan. I think Mac has been the best defensive player in the league. It's either him or Donald, but I think he has been the most dominant player at the line of scrimmage. The only problem with me looking at Chicago as a whole is they don't have any wide receivers, which is a huge problem for them. And there's a couple of really good wide receivers in this year's draft. So I would stock up big time on them in the draft. I would not bring in a veteran wide receiver on this team at all. Because right now you have Mitchell Chipinski. You bring in a veteran wide receiver. And and there's a lot of veteran wide receivers that have big mouths that are available right now for trade and maybe in free agency. 
because we don't know. And a lot of these wide receivers are prima donnas. And Mitchell Jabinski, anybody that knows, and I, I'm, a, I'm a pure and a, a big supporter for Mitchell Jabinski. I like Mitchell Jabinski. I like when they drafted him from North Carolina. I think they were crazy moving up to get him one spot. One it, made no, it made no sense why they did that. But I think that if they find two or three wide receivers in this year's draft to grow with Mitchell Trubisky, it's going to make Mitchell a lot better. I don't understand why they, they got rid of Howard. That made no sense to me. Especially for just a fifth-round pick. It didn't make yeah. any sense to me why they did that. Well, he's a free agent now. They could get him back if they want. They could, but I don't think they're going to because no, I don't, think, I don't so think he fit their right. offense. Right. But it made no sense. A lot of things Chicago has done in the last couple of years has made no sense. The only thing that made sense to me is their coach, and Nagy. I think he's a great coach. I think he is very underrated offensively. He's a great offensive mind. He comes from the tree of uh, Andy Reid. So everybody knows what he is capable of doing when his offense is moving in the proper direction. His defense fell off this year. Your Chicago Bears defense fell off this year. And why? It's not the front seven. It's really... The safety play and the corner play. Right. Outside of Kyle Fuller, there was nobody trustworthy in that secondary last year. Yeah, Mukmara got burned almost all the time. Mm-hmm. He, he was great last year, and I'm a Giants fan, so I saw the bad of Mukamara towards the end of his tenure. They they were lucky yep. what they got out of him in 18, but he looked back to normal. He was just really bad that year. And I think – I don't know how you feel, Brandon, but – Vic Fangio losing him probably was a big deal, too, because Huge there's a big, big difference between him and Chuck Pagano, too. Yeah, not a big fan of uh, the defense Pagano ran. I wasn't a huge fan of how much he dropped Cleo Mack out in coverage. Not a whole huge fan of how much he had Eddie Jackson playing close to the line of scrimmage. A lot of questionable mm-hmm. uh, calls. And there's a lot of questions with the Chicago, the Chicago Bears. First of all, their GM. What is their GM trying to do here? Are they trying to build a championship team? Are you trying to build around Mitchell Trubisky? Because they almost gave they almost gave up on Mitchell Trubisky at the end of the season. And to me, you could say whatever you want about Mitchell Trubisky. If you look at his numbers and you, you concentrate on the numbers, when you look at Mahomes and you look at uh, you look at um, Watson. Watson, their numbers are very similar from one another. All of them. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky had, I think he has 45 touchdowns, and he's thrown 21 interceptions. Those are not bad numbers. He's thrown in the last two years. Speedy's getting his numbers right now. Uh, I'm trying to get his numbers. I think he threw over almost 4,000 yards last year, if I'm not mistaken. So he has 48 career touchdowns, 29 interceptions. Okay, that's not bad. 24 touchdowns, 2018-17 last year. And how many yards did he throw last year? 31-38. See, that's not good. That's not good. If Mitchell Trubisky wants to be an elite quarterback, he has to throw consistently 4,000 yards. And he is, a great, he is a great quarterback running out of the pocket. He's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL when it comes to moving and, and making plays in the open field. He's one of the best at doing that. He, he lost that step early in the season last year uh, when he came back from his injury. Mm. And then all of a sudden, in yeah, the last, really, last six or five games, he started playing better. Yeah, he really turned it up against uh, the Cowboys. And then, you know, the next week after the Cowboys, you know, we had some hope. And then uh, we go, you know, we get smacked by Green Bay. And then, you know, the Chiefs do what they did to us. So I'm not really sure if it's Mike Nagy not sticking to the game plan of him running 
But him using his legs is huge, and I think, you know, it starts off by getting a better O-line this year because, man, right. our O-line is terrible. I don't know if you're but Rashad Coward, but, I mean, that guy, he was awful. Yeah, they need tackles in the worst way possible. Everyone was loving Charles Leno because he had a great 18 season, but, I, but that was the only good season he had. I knew he wasn't that good of a tackle. You need tackles to be able to help out a mobile-type quarterback like Trubisky, and maybe that's a big reason they couldn't run as much as they did. And he also got better at throwing on the run, too, which is a big key in today's game, too. I wasn't crazy about him as a prospect, but he improved progressively in that 2018 season. It seemed like they went away from it after that just because of the way that offensive line plays. They're going to have to rebuild it from the back end of the draft because they don't have a first-round pick right now, and I believe they don't have a second either this year. So they're going to have to build it from the back end. So they're going to have to hope they can find some gems. They've done that in the past, but again, they've only done it at certain positions. So they need receiving depth, and they really need offensive line depth. And if Trubisky still struggles amidst all that, then maybe you can move on from him. I'm not crazy about a prospect, but it wasn't all his fault last year. Brendan, I have one question to ask you. We were just talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and, and the fact that the San Francisco 49ers are looking to possibly trade him to bring in Kirk Cousins or Tom Brady. If you were the GM of the San Francisco 49ers, what would you do? Um, I would keep Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's getting older. Um, yeah, he, he had a good season last year, but, you know, you could see he, ha- he has ups and downs. Um, and honestly, you know, with the, new, like you said, new rules, the CBA or whatever, uh, you know, Garoppolo's contract is going to be really affordable. And uh, he's really young, and uh, I just don't, you know, like I said, they were, like you said, there was, there were seven minutes away from winning the Super Bowl. I just uh, I don't think it makes any sense to move on from Garoppolo. I agree with you. I really do agree with you. Where are you located? Uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. I, I love that state. I love that state. I love that city. I love that. Milwaukee over there. Love it over there. So, the Brewers are great. Uh, you have the Green Bay Packers. How the heck are you a Chicago Bears fan? Yeah, I'm actually an all-Chicago fan. You know, Blackhawks, Cubs, Bears, Bulls. All my family's from there, so I was raised a uh, Chicago fan. Interesting. So are you also a Wisconsin Badgers fan, or, are you, or do you root for a, a different college, too? Yeah, um, I, I'm not huge into college sports, to be honest. Um, you know, just the competition's just a little low. But, um, you know, I'll root for the Badgers if it's March Madness, but I'm not, you know, too well, They're the number one seed right now in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, they're uh, they're kicking on good at towards the end. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Brendan, you definitely have to follow us and listen to us every single day, my friend. Yeah, look, I'm about to follow you guys on Facebook, and for sure, I really appreciate it. You know, I love sports. Um, you guys have some good content. You know, I like it, so I really appreciate you guys' time. Well, we we thank you for the time and keep calling, my friend. We really appreciate your call. All right, appreciate it. Brendan from absolutely Brendan from Wisconsin uh, called us about Chicago, gave us some insight of what he thinks Chicago needs to do, and and really his opinion to the whole Jimmy Garoppolo thing. So, Speedy, the other story that I want to get into is a horse racing doping scandal. Yes, the many different horse trainers, including the trainers and jockeys of national security, or not national maximum security, that was a triple crown contender mm-hmm. in 2019. Those guys that were involved were involved in an international doping scandal that that spanned, I think, five different countries and over 20 horses and trainers. So as somebody that you say steroids only matter in fighting sports, combat sports. I agree, yes. Do you think this is a big deal? I think when you look at this particular thing, I've been to every single Belmont race in the last 
couple of years. And I've been to the Triple Crown when – what's his name again won? Um, Justify. Justify won. And there were stories coming out from Justify's camp a year after that he was doping and he was taking steroids for, for racing. Now, to me – I think that when you look at horses, and, and I, I know horse racing is a sport. It is. But these, guys, these horses are built, you know, they were born to race. They build them to race. And, and, and what do they do? What, they race when they're two years old, three years old, and then they're done. And if they're not, and, and this is what's sad about the whole situation with horses, which bothers the hell out of me, is what they do to these race horses after they're done with them. They kill them, they sell them off, they breed them, they treat them like garbage. And to me, that's a, that's a, catastrophe, a catastrophe by itself. I'm sorry, I'm stuttering today because I've been so angry about what is going on here in Long Island. And that's a whole other story. But, but uh, just the cars and the, and the drivers on this road over here on 347 is absolutely terrible. I've been all day... And there are so many accidents on 347 today. But I, I look at this scandal, and every sport has a scandal. Every single sport. Baseball with the Astros. Uh, football with the Patriots. <laughs> basketball with the referees and, and the Knicks. I mean, I mean, the Knicks have their own scandals by themselves with James Dolan. But the I Knicks mean, have self-inflicted scandals. Yes. <laughs> I mean, every sport has its scandal. It really does. Now, do I think that the horse racing committee should do something about this? Absolutely. If you're not supposed to be doping the horses, then you can't dope the horses. If it gives them an advantage, and I, and I, again, I still think in all sports, basketball, baseball, hockey, and football, they should be allowed to, to take steroids if they want. It First of all, what does steroids do for you? It heals you faster, right? That's what it does. HGH, why did Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit take steroids? Why did they take HGH? Because they wanted to heal themselves quick enough so they can get back on the field and play every fifth game. Now, horse racing, it's deadly to these horses' feet, their hooves, whatever it is, their knees, their legs, their body. And a lot of people think, hey, you're doing steroids because you want to you be stronger. You want to be better. You want to be faster. Some people do. But the, the owners of the horses don't know. They, the horses don't understand that they're taking steroids. <laughs> they don't know. And if one horse is doing it, then the others should be allowed to do it. If it heals the horse quick enough and it gets them back on the, gets them back on the race course, then you do it. Now, I understand when you, when you look at horse racing, and a lot of people don't look at horse racing to be a sport. They don't. Just like they don't believe car racing to be a sport, which it is. Absolutely is. But it's not popular up, up here on the East Coast. It really isn't. Horse racing is very popular down south. Now, we do have the Belmont here in New York which is a triple, a triple crown place, which I've gone for the last two years. I saw Justify win. I took a picture with Justify. But the fact is, when you think of horse racing, you don't think of steroids. 
You think of the small jockeys. You think of a, the speedy horses running through a course of, of a field where these, these horses are running 70, 80 miles per hour. You don't think it would have a strength advantage for particular horses? Well, how do we know they, they weren't trying to heal the horse? How do we know they weren't trying to shoot the horse in a Pacific area where it was hurt? Now, we don't know that. And, and I understand. Justify was supposedly caught with doing steroids. Did they take his triple crown away? He, they didn't. Well, no, because I, I don't think they knew what they were definitively using for it. But I, I'm still saying where because it's a an animal that's a, a large body, horses are large, it, uh, if it's steroids – You have a small pea brain, okay? I got a big brain. If steroids spread through your body like that <laughs> in terms Do of I need two steroids? horses – Do you need steroids? I think you need steroids. No, I don't. But still, if you have two horses that are very similar size-wise and some one of them is on steroids – that could end up making a difference in terms of getting position, inside position, maybe a photo finish where they could stretch a little further. I still think it can create a tiebreaker. Now, whether Justify was the only one doing it or not is unlikely. So for that reason, you probably can't take the triple crown away. But if there is evidence linking to using steroids, it can be an advantage. You just got to figure out what it actually is. 631-965-4990 is the number. Up next, we have our special guest, guys. And I've been waiting to interview this guy. This guy has been waiting to jump on our show. Mike Hap, a drag racer, former drag racer. Uh, he's done a lot of things. He's gone through a lot of stuff. When we, get, when we come back, we're going to get him on the phone, and we're going to be doing an interview with Mike Hap when we come back here on Down to the Wire. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero is the number to call. As you guys know, as you know, you can follow us going to our website at worldwidesportsradio.com. And remember, follow us on all our platforms. As you guys know, I don't have to keep mentioning it. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Throughout the country, throughout the world. And as you guys know, we have a very, very, very special guest on the line. And I want to put him through right now. Welcome, Mr. Mike Hep. If you guys don't know who Mike Hep is, he created a racing recovery uh, organization where, where he is helping people around the country, around the world, with all the problems that they've had over the, their life. And his story is remarkable. How you doing, Mike? Good. How you doing? We are good, my friend. How are you? Awesome, enjoying some beautiful weather for a change. Uh, well, wh- what are you talking about? Beautiful weather. Uh, where are you from? Where are you living right now? Uh, we're Bristol, PA. We're not far from you, and we're like seventy degrees down here today. Oh well, we're uh, what were we? Fifty six, speedy, somewhat. Fifty six. No, I think it was warmer yesterday. So, Mike, I was listening, and and I, I actually was listening to a, a bunch of different people uh, at my firehouse, and. One person in particular, Joe, who speaks very, very highly of you, really does. He's a good friend of yours. And he told me, he said, listen, my friend Mike, he's got an extraordinary story that he wants to tell to the people, to the world, about what he's been through and where he's been in his life. And I read 
different pieces of the bio that you sent me, and it's absolutely remarkable of the things that you have been through, the trials and tribulations you have been through in your life and how you got through them and how successful you have been since then. So why don't you tell a little bit about the little a uh, little bit about yourself and tell the fans a little bit about the some of the trials and tribulations at the age of twenty three you've been through. Well, it's it's uh, it started out, you know, to try and give you a comp, you know, a, a short version of this. You know, I, I grew up in the seventies and uh, you know, normal family and just a lot of a lot of drinking went on back then and, and the long and short of it, I was kind of disconnected early on before I became, you know, a full blown alcoholic addict. And, uh, I, you know, I had some learning disabilities early on in school. I'm the guy that rode the little yellow school bus. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's speedy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I wound up going to a place out in Florida, Washington for, uh, you know, behavioral problems and learning disabilities. So I, I, I never quite fit in, in the, with the guys in the neighborhood and I always felt separated from, and, you know, early on in, in my teens, probably, you know, 14, 15, 16 began, you know, drinking. And, um, I, I can honestly say that it, it just, it did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And, um, I, you know, the shy kid that couldn't talk to people that was kind of felt disconnected, that all went away when I drank. And so I chased that feeling for the rest of my life. And uh, it's it progressed in, in, you know, into my early 20s. Um, you know, and I had a lot of warnings from the family. You know, you, may, you might want to take a look at this. And uh, it just it snowballed into something that I would have never thought in my wildest dreams. You know, I wound up becoming homeless because of the disease and uh, uh, shut down behind dumpsters and stuff like that. Everything worthwhile in life living for, and uh, I had a situation in 1989 with my father. I was I was already pretty much a full blown addict and alcoholic at that point, and uh, unfortunately, my father had some suffered from mental illness from the Second World War, and, and uh, in June of '89, had committed suicide. I'm sorry to sorry hear that. that. Yes, and I I buried my mother three and a half months later, and that just kind of you know, I kind of poured the coals on it, you know, so to speak, from there. And it just took me to a place that I never would have dreamed in, in my wildest imaginations. So outside of your family, because obviously, I'm sorry for your losses, what, what ended up happening with your family. Who Were there any people specifically that helped you get through those issues later on after your family passed away and through all this uh, racing thing, the racing to recovery? Is there any specific people that you credit for helping you through that? Um, back in 89, you mean? Yeah. Well, there was, you know, there was some... Uh, family support along the way, but I pretty much bottled it and, uh, and tried to move on with my life. And, you know, I just, I, I was handicapped in, and with the disease and, you know, I tried every remedy, not, not to do it. You know, I, after I had, my son was born in 91 and then I had two girls, two daughters after that. And, uh, I thought, you know, after they were born that, you know, uh, I'd get it together and, the woman I was with at the time, you know, had taken the kids and left. Um, 
so there wasn't a lot of I, I wasn't looking for help. I thought that I could manhandle this thing, so to speak, and it just blew up in my face. But it took, you know, thirty years before I, I finally got to a place where I'm living in Pennypack Park, you know, uh fluffing up pine needles for a pillow at night <laughs> and uh deciding, you know what, I, I probably need to address this issue here. The racing for recovery stuff that didn't really start to happen until 2011, but you know, in 2004 or five, I, I was homeless and, and living on the streets of Philadelphia. We are speaking to Mike Hap. Uh, he created a company and an organization called Racing for Recovery. Um, here's my question: What got you into racing? I mean, all the the different trials and tribulations you've had in your past. I mean, from your family, from the drug abuse, from the drinking, all the things being homeless. What made you get into racing the way you have in your in in the past and now in the future? Well, it's kind of unique. In the early '80s, I had an interest in professional drag racing, and um, you know, like anything else that I enjoyed in life, it kind of went to the wayside um, through my addiction, and I completely really forgot about it. And, and ironically enough, my my wife today, Martina, had got me a a NASCAR experience ticket and it triggered something in me. I went, holy smokes, I used to race back in the eighties drag race. And, and so, uh, I had gone back to English town raceway park in English town, New Jersey in 2011 to, um, check the sport out again. And when I had gotten back there, um, there were some amazing giving cars that were out there that were doing some really positive stuff for people. And, uh, uh, for instance, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Wounded Warrior Project, Infinite Hero, uh, Alex's Lemonade Stand, uh, Breast Cancer Awareness. There's all that was going on, and I thought, wow, that's awesome. And then I kind of got hit with a lightning bolt. Nobody's doing anything about the disease of addiction in this country. And so I was born on that day. Um, I didn't have no idea what it was going to springboard to from there, but um, I had I got a sort of back up <laughs> well actually two, that was in 2011 so I went and, and went to Doug Foley school drag racing and, and had gotten my super compilations I think I was 45 at the time and uh, it was a great accomplishment my kids were there my wife was there and had a, had a blast and uh, by 2012 just I, and this is just God working in your life I grew up with a guy that's now president of Mike Cup Racing for Recovery his name's Glenn Moore um, I'm just a the guy they shoot out of the cannon. I'm, I'm the founder and, and driver of the car, but Glenn's the CEO of the company. And uh, you wouldn't believe this, but I had I grew up with with Glenn on in my neighborhood back in the '70s and '80s. And you know, everybody in the neighborhood separates, and you lose track of time and lose track of people over the years. And real quick, we went to visit him at his place of business, and he had. He, he, he turned at me after 25 years. He hadn't seen me. He said, I can't believe you're still alive. <laughs> and that was, um, he goes on from that point to tell me how he almost died from alcoholism and that he had a, about six months to a year of sobriety at the time and that he was really struggling. And I had told him of the answer that I had found and that I would like to share it with him. So he had come to, to our home that I had opened up during the week for folks struggling and the long and short that he recovered and, and got, you know, got well. And uh, so we talked about the 
the possibility of a partnership with the Racing for Recovery program. I said, I want to go drag racing professionally. Um, that's the goal, long-term goal, is to do it on a pro, pro level. But we can start at the sportsman level. But if we're going to do it, we need to be able to help others in the process. We can't just go just to drag racing. We need to do something for others. And so I talked to him about the concept of the Racing for Recovery, and, and we partnered, and, and the rest, are, rest is really history. So, Mike, it mentions in your story that you had to, the only way you could be able to help, get help is a 12-step program to help your addiction. Now, how has the addiction, in terms of the recovery methods, how has it changed since when you first started, and how has Racing for Recovery, your Racing for Recovery, evolved the way that you've been able to help people? Well, initially, you know, Glenn and I talked about, you know, we branded the car and we went out and we went public with it. Um, you know, we put our stories out on bios and, and we went out and we wanted to tell people, listen, you're not alone out there. Unfortunately, everybody knows somebody that's jacked up on drugs or alcohol in one form or another, maybe not directly, but somebody knows somebody. And, and, and like, again, our job was to go out there and, and use our story um, as an incentive for people to look and say, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it. And, you know, if those guys can do it, you know, we could do it. And, and so we, we just set out to be able to try and help some folks. And it, it kind of springboarded into, you know, we wanted to help a couple people and we wound up helping like 357 people into treatment through the program so far um, over the course of the last seven years. And, you know, we've been out there diligently working, you know, to look for strategic partners to come on board and, and get behind the program because I think there's a lot more that we can do with it. And uh, it's just been an amazing ride. We are speaking to Mike Hep. He created an organization called Racing for Recovery, him and his friend Glenn. My question for you is, I've never been a drug, I've never been really heavily into drugs or drinking. That's not something that I have gotten into as a kid. I was a big jock. I stayed away from it. What really drove you to drink? What really drove you to do drugs? Were you hanging out with the wrong crowds? You were hanging out with the wrong people? What really forced you into doing those particular things? Um, I think, again, in the, growing up in the 70s, it was just normal. No, oh, party um, time, yeah. Say it again. I lost no, no, it. no, no, no. I'm, I'm here. I'm, say, I'm saying the 70s were a big party time. So I, I know Studio 54, disco time, and I, I know uh, that was when really cocaine was brought to – you know, brought to the United States. It was really in the mid seventies. I, I watched the movie Blow, so I knew a little. I know a little bit about this, but um, I know that drugs became very popular in seventies with all the bands. And I mean, you have the Grateful Dead, and you have uh, all the different, you know, bands that drove you know drove you to want to do drugs. You know what I mean? So what I, I understand the the hard you know, hard times that you had and particular times that you had, but was there any particular reason why you started doing drugs or it was just hanging out? It was a time you were hanging out with your buddies and you just said, you know what? I, there's nothing else better to do. Why not uh, drink a little bit or uh, smoke a little weed? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. And, and like I said, every, you know, I, I was one that was, you know, dead set against drugs. Right. So know, am I. Or yeah. when I was young, you know, it's okay to drink, but don't do drugs. And 
you know, it, it, you just, you go, your morals start to decay as the disease progresses and, you know, you, you get to a lot of your nevers. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. And, uh, you know, but it, it, as far as the drinking concerned, it, it did for me, basically, like I said, there was, there was something about alcohol for me that once I started, um, I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, I, the bar would be closing at two o'clock and I'd be getting two six packs to go home. <laughs> you know, it was, it was funny. It was a kind of deal where, you know, I did construction work for a lot of years right. and, uh, you know, guys would say to me, I'm going to get a six pack, you know, there'd be four of us in a pickup truck going home and he'd say to me, you know, I want to get a six pack on the way home. And I'm going, that's great. What are you guys going to drink? You know, <laughs> um, you know, and then the drug side of it, right. It went to, you know, I, I, you know, I smoked weed as a, as a young kid, but it really didn't do anything for right. me. And, uh, you know, we, we did clubs and hanging out and somebody chop a line out and, you know, I was good with that. And, um, unfortunately somebody turned me on to, to crack cocaine right. and that was like the second coming of Christ. Once I hit that stuff, it was unbelievable. Um, absolutely. That stuff will make a priest kick a stained glass window right out of the church. <laughs> it's, it's, it's some nasty stuff. I'm sure. And, uh, once I started, um, I could not stop and I couldn't tell you, Enough. I probably five or six years steady on that. The end of my addiction, I was drinking two thirty packs of beer a day and, and two hundred fifty dollars worth of rock cocaine every day. That's a lot. Jeez. That's a lot. So, Mike, and I thought I was. I, I really did thought. I thought I was buff and ripped like the jocks. You know what I mean? I'm like one hundred fifteen pounds soaking wet, but. In my head, I, you know, I was, I was and, and I, I will tell you this. I ask you that question because I've interviewed a lot of athletes and I've talked to a lot of athletes that had drug addictive problems, drinking problems. And I asked them what forced you, what, what brought you to do drugs? What brought you to drink the way you did? And some people said, uh, the, the family life at home. Um, some people would say, um, uh, the friends that they hung out with or uh, the girlfriend that just depressed them or uh, there were just so many different answers I got from different athletes. So when I ask you why you did it and, and, and it was a good answer because in the seventies, I know my mom grew up in the seventies as well and she was a party animal and she would tell me some of the things that she did. And you look at my mom now and I would be like, you never did that. There's no way in hell you did that. And, and, and you realize how different the millennial kids are compared to us. I mean, Speedy over here sitting right next to me, he's 23 years old. You know what I mean? 24 years old. I'm 30, I'm 37. So I come from a different era where it's a different, you know, different style, you know, different things that we did at his age that the kids are doing differently now. So I ask you that question because I think a lot of the fans that listen to, you know, that listen to this story and hear your story are going to understand the reasoning behind on why you used them and uh, how you got through them. And my question for you, before I let Speedy ask his question is, how long have you been sober? And what has drove, what has driven you to stay sober the way you have in the last couple of years? Well, the, the, the answer I'm going to give you is, um, 15 years in sobriety now. Congratulations, and by the way. Thanks. 
working on working on sixteen and uh the only credit I give for my sobriety today is is the man upstairs. I you know, I don't take any credit for it. And and that all worked through the twelve step program. That was it you know, I could get into a whole thing on the twelve steps. I'm well schooled in that area and uh just to give you a, a crash course, the twelve steps are, are designed that if you go through them, um correctly in a timely manner that you'll have a spiritual awakening um, and develop a relationship with a power greater than you and that's exactly what I did and 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 so what keeps me sober today is trying to, to follow God's will on a daily basis and stay out of my head and, and stay out of trying to manage my life and and to focus on helping others and that's what that's what does it when we're helping other people, I'm okay. But when I'm sitting alone and I get in my head, I'm in trouble. So I need to, we, we just need to stay focused and in the forefront, you know, forefront of my mind, I just need to know that, you know, I, I've, I've been blessed to, to be involved in the sport and I've been blessed to uh, reunite with Glenn and be married to a magnificent wife and have kids. And, um, you know, this, it, it's an amazing deal, but it, all the credit goes to God, man. I, I, I don't have any other answers for you there. Mike, you mentioned in your story that getting sober is not just about getting sober. It's a deeper meaning than that. What specific parts of your life do you consider as being part of that deeper meaning? I know you have your Racing for Recovery program, which you said you'd, you were helping out tons of people. But is there any other facets of, of life that getting sober, you getting sober at, at the moment of time in your life where you did really meant to you and maybe thought of it as a new phase in your life? Um, that's a good question. That was a pretty good question. I'm trying to figure the question out. Try and maybe with that one more time. I was saying in your story, it says I have known I have know that it has nothing to do with being sober. It's a lot deeper than that. What is that deeper meaning that you have in terms of getting sober at this point and how it imp- impacts your life? Throughout what facets well, of your life? You know, there's a mis- there's a rumor out there that, and, and there's, there's a lot of paradoxes in in recovery, and a lot of people on the outside looking in don't get this. But what I mean by that is, being sober for an addict or alcoholic is the problem. Okay, and for me, drugs and alcohol were always my solution, always my solution. So sobriety, right? If you just Stop using and put the plug in the jug, right? You're, you're going, what you're left with is a highly strained, abnormal human being. And what's going to happen at that point is you're, you're going to get hit with life on life's terms and emotions are going to affect you. You're not going to be able to deal with any of those things. And the first thing that comes to mind that will fix that is going back to using because that does it for you. It fixes it every time. So a lot, what I mean by a lot deeper in sobriety is, is that it requires uh, you to go out and, and do the work that it, they ask you to do in, in the 12-step program so that you can acquire the spiritual awakening that I'm talking about. Because that's the only answer. There's no cure for drug and alcohol addiction. It can be treated this through, through a 12-step program, and if you devote your life to it and devote your life to helping other people, then you're good to go. But the minute you turn inward and start worrying about you, you're on the wrong track and you're heading right back to getting high and drunk again. And it's really that simple. 
We are speaking to Mike Hep. He created a company and an organization with his friend Glenn called The Racing for Recovery. Mike, my question and my last question for you, I'm looking at your I'm looking at your website. It's an incredible website. Uh, if you guys want to check out his website, go to competitionplus.com. Again, it's competitionplus.com. What was your drive to create this website with your friend Glenn? Well, hang on a second, because you just get Competition Plus was an article. Oh, I'm we, sorry. We just did an article on us. Our website is is Mike Hep Racing. Oh, there it is. Oh, I, I'm looking at I'm looking at this Competition Plus website, and it's yeah, got that a was bunch an of stuff. Article that just had come out uh, in Competition Plus magazine. Our okay. website. If you're looking for help, you can go to Mike Hep Racing the number four recovery dot com. Um, or if you just want to check out the racing side of things, you can go to MikeHepRacing.com. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. But uh, I, was, I was looking at the Competition Plus, and it's an incredible website. I was going up and down. I thought it was your website because that's what you sent me. But uh, tell us a little bit about your website and, and why people should go on your website if they need help and, for recovery. Why should they go to your website, and, and what, do you, what could you guys do for the people out there that are looking for recovery? One of the things we do is, is we level the playing field. In other words, when somebody's trying to, when somebody newly comes, comes, it comes about, like say somebody wants to, to get help and they're struggling real bad and they're, you know, they're at the point where they're ready to stick a gun in their mouth and they're, they've had it. Um, there's a lot of fear that, that surrounds that. Like, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I reach out for help? And, and so that's, what we're here for you pick up the phone you're you're not talking to somebody that's uh you know in, in a treatment center that has no idea what's going on about addiction um you know you're talking to an addict that's been through it and and understands it and and levels the playing field a lot of times folks call up and, and they just get an operator and there's no personal connection and, and so we try to you know, establish a rapport with somebody on the phone and, and, and level the playing field and say, look, we've been in your boat, we've been in your shoes. You know, if you're ready, we're ready. We'll help you. Um, our motto is fast help for addiction, right? And if you're ready to do the work, we're ready to get you help. And uh, we just we provide resources um, for detox, inpatient treatment, housing, and uh, employment. And, and that's that's the four key components to the program. So, if you're actively using booze or drugs and alcohol, um, it's imperative that you know you get to the right facility to detox. Because if you try to detox yourself, you could, it's deadly. So you, you, you need to get into a facility that can handle that, and we can guide you through that process and get you to those facilities, no matter where you are in the U.S. Um, because we, it's a national platform that we have, a national program that we have. Um, then we can get you into an inpatient treatment. Uh, facility for whatever your insurance allows um, and then of course from there a lot of times folks that are in treatment for a long period of time don't have anywhere to live or nowhere to go so we've networked with uh, recovery homes throughout the U.S. so we can help get you placed in a, in a place to live and then we just took it a little step further and we worked with the Pennsylvania Department of Labor and Industry um, and and with other uh entities throughout the country to help folks get resumes set up and, and, you know, be able to go out and find a job, whether it's a menial job or whatever. That's amazing. Just get you back in. Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. It really is. 
Mike, you mentioned in your story, you talk about an event with Tony Schumacher, who was one of your favorite drivers. Talk about how that experience impacted your life, not only as obviously a fan of his, but also what he helped you through, the advice that he gave you at, at the events that you went through. How did that experience change your life as well as the the, the Racing for Recovery program that you ended up building as a result? Well, one of the, one of the things he was he was a guy when I when I initially wanted to get back into the race and I wanted to go top fuel racing and I was looking for somebody to mentor me and and there was a couple of people that that I was looking at and Tony was one of them and here's a guy that is an eight time top fuel world champion that never met me before in his life ever it's the first time I set foot back on a drag strip in in 2012 and I went there for the sole purpose to ask him to help me. And when I got there and he was signing autographs and he's at the ropes talking to people and all, and, and I kind of almost backed away, but my stepdaughter, Deanna said, no, we came all the way over here. You got to ask him. So the long and short of it, he, he kind of looked over and saw, I was getting ready to, to leave and he goes, what's up? And I just said to him, look, man, I, I said, I just wanted to talk to you for a couple of minutes to see if you'd be willing to help me out. And uh, I says, yeah, as soon as I'm done. He got done signing some autographs and invited me into his pit area, and he said, you know, what can I do for you? And I said, look, and I said, you know, I struggled with addiction for 30 years. I'm trying to work my way into a professional racing career, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to help me out. And the guy said, absolutely. Here's my telephone number. Um, I'll call you. And I, I never thought in a, a million years that he would actually do that, and I was on the job one uh, two weeks after that event, he he called me, and uh, he guided me to Doug Foley School, and uh, wound up getting my super comp license, and we've become really good friends over the years. And uh, he, he's just there to, to to be. He's a great guy, and he's there, and he's mentored me, and, and he's guided me along through the process. And with this new deal that we have coming up this year with Tom Pickett Racing up in New Hampshire, um, I, I credit Tony for that because you know he was he was the guy that. So just keep plugging away at it. And uh, I, I never, you know, here's a guy that was homeless, showering behind dumpsters and, um, you know, interacting with a, with an eight-time top fuel world champion. That's pretty incredible stuff. Mike, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you, how they can find your organization, and how they can reach you? Uh, you can go right on the website. You go to MikeHepRacing.com. Um, there's some links on there. Uh, you can click on Racing for Recovery if you're having an issue with, uh, you know, struggling with alcohol or drugs. You can call us, and uh, or you can go right to MikeHepRacing, the number four recovery dot com, um, either or, or you can you can call us on the phone at two one five four six four sixty four forty six, and and reach out if you know somebody's struggling. We're here to help you guys, and 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 that's that's what we're doing. <laughs> any any upcoming events that we can promote? Or maybe even come down, to, come down where you're at, so we can help you promote your event over there. Maybe do a live show over there at your event. We'd love to do that. That'd be awesome, Amy. Do a do a deal right from the track. Um, we've got some regional events scheduled at this point on the website. You can go on uh, on the 2020 schedule on the website and look at those. But we have, I think, five national events lined up this year. We would love to have you guys out for that. It'd be awesome. Oh, we would love to come out there and do some giveaways and have some fun with the fans and pick on speedy right next to us. So, uh, that would be great. Of course. I mean, we can, pick, we, we can, we can pick on him and, uh, smack him around a couple of times. What do you think about that? Absolutely. 
<laughs> Mike, thank you for joining us, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's been absolutely. a great time, guys. We will stay in touch. I absolutely will stay in touch with you. I would love to do a couple events with you. I, I love what you guys are doing over there for your recovery organization. I wanted to give a shout-out to Joey. Tell him thanks a million you know, for, for uh, you know, helping us out with this. He's, he's one of my best friends, man. And, and Great guy. Wasn't for him. Wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here tonight with you guys. So well, I just wanted to say thank he is you. a great guy. I'll tell you this right now. I work with him. I actually work with him tonight. He is an, an excellent guy, great person, and um, I, I can't say anything bad about him. So uh, I'm happy. I that- if I can, if I have a second, just to mention a couple people, and then I'll cut you loose. I just want to thank the United States Motorsports Association, Sean. Uh, for all he does, Rob's Automotive Collision, Mega Construction, and CG Airworks. Um, for all their support and uh, guys, stay in touch and, and we'll we'll certainly have you after a race. We'd love to have you out. Thank you, Mike. That was Mike Hep, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to check out his website, he gave you all the information. Racing for Recovery. The guy is a great guy. If you want to read his story, he is an unbelievable story, an unbelievable story. And I just to me, when when you think of stories like this and and, and all the different interviews that I've had over the years, and, and I've interviewed a lot of big names in all different sports, from racetracks race uh, race uh, to tennis players to basketball players to hockey players and all the events I've been to, the stories that you hear and the trials and tribulations that some of these guys and some of these athletes have been through and the remarkable return that they come back from a sport or they come back – and, and, and not only help people, they help a generation of people. It's remarkable. Mike is uh, an unbelievable person. And, guys, you got to definitely, definitely check his bio. His bio is unbelievable. The story behind who he is and, and really what he has done for his recovery organization is absolutely amazing. When we come back, we will do debate hour, and we have a couple more things to do before we have debate hour here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What is this? This is the title track Rio by Duran Duran. I remember this track. I wasn't a big Duran Duran fan. Oh, really? I, I really wasn't. I know my father was a big Duran Duran fan, but I didn't like their music. I, maybe one or two songs, but I wasn't a big fan of them. And this is a catchy instrumental. You have to 631-965-4990 is the number. And remember, you can reach us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com and follow us on all our social medias. Duran Duran, Speedy Petey, the biggest pain in the you-know-what. Really, I have to give him a lot of credit. He puts a lot of time and effort into the shows. Any of the terminologies I use on the show, he absolutely has no idea what I'm talking about. So, do you know what a banana is? Yeah, of course. Do you like bananas? Yeah. Do you like eating bananas? What else would I do with a banana? Now, do you like to taste the banana from the top, or you like going all the way to the bottom? I do, I do the top. <laughs> you like the top, right? You like the, the touchy top, right? No. It tingles like in your mouth, right? No. There's no, no it diff- doesn't? There's no difference in the, the shape or the size of a banana. Well, how do you know? The uh, different unless size bananas. Unless it's some weirdly planted one. 
<laughs> Unless, and if that's the case, I probably wouldn't eat it. So you don't like bananas, or you do like bananas? I do like bananas. Uh, and, and do you think they taste good? Yeah. And, and do you like the different size bananas? No, I don't really care about the comparison of the size. No, smaller, bigger. No, you like it smaller or bigger? I don't care. <laughs> you don't care, so you like as it long bigger. as it's the same flavor. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as you guys know, that's Speedy Petey, and uh, I love him. He he really. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyways, uh, before we get into debate hours, uh, debate hour, not hours, because we're not here for another hours, but um, I want to get into this story. And, Speedy, you brought this to my attention. And right now, the major league and a lot of these major league organizations, the Yankees, the Mets, all the baseball organizations in the new CBA are thinking about getting rid of some of their minor league teams. Now, as you guys know, most teams have two double-A teams, two triple-A two teams, and one single-A team, which is most teams have five to six minor league organizations that they can get players from. Now the major leagues and the CBA rule, they want to change the, the CBA rule where they only want to keep two or three minor league teams for each organization. Here's the reason why I disagree completely on this. There are a bunch of players, a bunch of young kids that get drafted in high school at the age of 15, 16 years old. There are people that are brought up from the Dominican Republic. They're getting contracts at the age of 15, 16 years old with the international rules that the MLB has. And a lot of these players are getting put on these single-A teams for years before they move up to double-A and triple-A. Guys like Gary Sanchez, who the Yankees gave $3 million to, he was brought to the Yankees organization at the age of 15. He didn't come up to the major leagues until the age of 23, 24 years old. It took him years to move up in the rankings and to figure and develop his skills as a major league player. When you cut teams, minor league teams from major league teams, it affects... The draft, it affects these players actually finding jobs. Some of these players are in the minor leagues for years. Eight, seven, six, five, four, even two years. They're in, they could be there their whole career. Trying to get that first game or and maybe they've been up and down in the major leagues. But they never are full-time players in the major leagues. But they believe in their skills and they believe... In their talent, they believe that they'll eventually get back to the major leagues. Now, one of the issues that has been coming up with minor league baseball and in relation to major league baseball is a lot of those players yep. don't get paid a lot. Do you think this could help that kind of thing where if there's less teams, there's more revenue spread around to each team? How much money are they going to make? I mean, if you think about it, most minor league players are making about $50,000 a year. So how much more are they going to make? $10,000? I mean, is that much? Seriously, if you're, if you're playing for the New York Mets, and, or how about this, the New York Yankees. The Yankees have Scranton, okay? Mm -hmm. Where's Scranton located? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Depending on where these minor league teams are, they're taxed, okay? So let's say you're in New York or you're playing for an L.A. minor league team. Their taxes, they're, they're taking at least, what, what is it, uh... 
percent of whatever you make. So think if you're making fifty thousand dollars, you're only making in in LA, you're only making like thirty five, thirty six thousand dollars a year. I, I just to me, I don't think this helps baseball. I don't think it opens up any revenue for these players to make more money. I really don't. And if it, even if it does, how much more money are these minor league players going to make? They don't pay them a lot of money. They're strictly, this is why you play minor league baseball, because the belief that you believe that one day you're going to get called up to the major leagues and fulfill your dream. Right. Now, the only reason I say that is because each minor league team has certain players that are not going to be on major league rosters at the current moment. Right. They're, again, maybe just washed up or something like that. But there's also going to be most of them that are double-A players that are high prospects, triple-A players that are recovering from injury, that are major league players. You don't think that the wealth distribution of those players, if they are, if there are less teams, maybe one dominant double A team, one dominant triple A team in comparison to having two, would help that kind of thing where minor league players could even be signed quicker out of the, out of bigger contracts right away because we've seen them again gypped over the years of the money that they're getting and they want to get paid more. I feel like that kind of thing would help them get paid more initially. And for those who don't make the team, they can either just make the decision to go back to college or they can just, again, ride it out in that Class A system or that Double A system, whatever they don't make. Because those contracts do get moved anyway. They they get traded. Or, so you're telling me you agree to this. If, if, if you were on the board right now, you would agree to this. I think it would vote. help in terms of the minor league revenue problem that they have right now. But because, how about the jobs of some of these kids? Some of these kids that decide to leave college to go play professional baseball, now they're going to have to decide, you know what? I, I, I might as well stay in college and play college baseball. Right, but here's but the thing. Like they're not nine, the, how many rounds are there in professional baseball and drafting? 38 or something 38. like that. So where are these 38 rounds of right. players going to go? Which is, one, already a lot to begin with, and two – it's not like the minor league system would completely go away. It's just they would remove the team from the affiliate. So they could, if they're past their college eligibility, they could try to make a living just unaffiliated in the minor leagues. And sometimes those guys get picked up by minor league, uh, major league teams later on. They don't have to draft them. They could sign them as a, as a free agent. And okay, and if, if you take then away... Then put them in their, in their minor and league if you take I don't away, see much of a difference. If you, I see a, a huge difference because when you look at an organization, you want control of those players. If you're the Yankees right now and there are a bunch of teams, affiliate organizations that you can look at uh, different players that you want to bring to your organization, you have more power and more money to get those players than the Milwaukee Brewers or the Texas Rangers or of one of those organizations. Right, but you don't lose your players. You, you will keep your players. I understand The teams that. will just switch. I, I, I understand that. It's Again, it gives the, the highly profiled teams uh, more advantage to take the players that they feel fit that'll fit their, their organization. But they still have to develop them anyway. That's always that's a, fine. That's but, always a test but that, for that any doesn't help the draft. That doesn't help where the draft is going and where you're going to draft and in your 38 rounds. I, I think it's a terrible move for the major leagues. I really do. I think the MLPA um, should absolutely look at this and and stop stop changing what baseball has created for years. Okay. Want to put robotic umpires back behind the plate because you think it's going to help pitching or you're going to, you, you think it's going to speed the game? It hasn't sped, speeded the game with what the, the different changes of rules that they have right now in the major leagues. Look at the rules that they tried to change in the last couple of years. Has it, speed, has it sped up the game? It hasn't. 
It hasn't. The Yankees play the Red Sox. The Yankees play the Red Sox for three and a half hours practically every single game. With the new rules, do you think it's going to speed up the game even more? It's not. But I think this because is more dealing the players, with the money. I don't think I'm not even talking about the... that. I'm talking about changing rules. You're changing things. Major League has been around for hundreds of years. Actually, over 100 years. Actually, 120 years. Mm-hmm. Why would you change the rules now? When the rules work just fine. Well, they didn't have all those minor league systems back then either, though. No, but they started having them in the 50s and the 60s. That many? I don't know about that many, but as it grew... Again, Speedy, baseball is different. There is more athletes now trying to make it to professional sports. So you need a place to put them. If you you create leagues out... Out, whatever you want to call it, the outspire league, just like the XFL is for the NFL right. or uh, the CFL is to the NFL, that's fine. But where are these players going to – where are the uh, – it just throws me off. It, it really does, and I don't really want to stay on this topic. Where are these players going to find their place in the major leagues? Or where are they going to find their place where they can grow to get into the major leagues? These outskirts organizations – how many time, How many players do you think are going to be picked out of the XFL after this year? One? I would, I would say probably five or something like that. Not even. One so? or two. Well, none of them will be drafted. They'll be undrafted. One or two. I'm not talking about draft. I'm talking oh, you're about, talking about making the team? Making a team okay. in right. the NFL. Yeah, One or like two. two. Yeah. Okay? So what makes anybody think that if these organizations are not looking at these players every single day, are sending their scouts every single day to every one of their minor league teams because that's what scouts are doing. They're sitting and watching their games, watching these players develop. But there's a difference between football, which doesn't have a minor league system, and baseball, which does. If you sign somebody from a quote-unquote independent league or a former affiliate team to your 40-man roster or your 80 man or whatever the expansion is, and you could put them in your minor leagues. I don't see what the difference is. It's just an informal way of doing it. Why change something that has worked for years? Why do it? To help minor league revenue. Revenue. Again, for the minor league players. How much more do you think these minor league players are going to make? If you take away two or three of those teams, how much more do you think it's not going to be two or three? It's going to be, it's going to be more than that. It's going to be something along the line of probably 20. No, I'm talking about each team has five minor league teams. Oh, per team, okay. Yes. How much more money you think these players are going to make? 15 grand? 20 grand? After taxes, you're not making that much money, Speedy. If if you're talking about a million dollars, these players are going to make a million, each of them are going to make a million dollars a year, that's different. But if you're only making, what, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more, what is the point? What is the point of taking away minor league teams from these organizations where it gives these minor league players a place to play and to grow in their sport? But I also think long-term, too, that could help the revenue of the team where if you're the primary Does baseball AA, really need different revenue? Not, base, mean, not baseball specifically. The, the minor league team, which could help, again, funding for the players later on. So combining with that long-term, it could even be more than $20,000. It's never going to happen. I will tell you this right now. It's never going to happen. There is no way the players' union is going to accept that. So that will never happen. I cannot see that happen. I don't care how much more money they're going to make. If they're not making a million dollars, there is no way the players' union is going to accept that rule. No way. That's just my opinion. It's got to go through the players' union. It's, it has to absolutely go through the players' union because it protects, mm. it protects the what players. Are the major-
uses minor league revenue. We'll see. All right, Speedy, you know what time it is. This is the Debate Hour. And now in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a shit? All right, Speedy, give me. Round one. Round one for debate hour today. We're going to go to baseball first to start this one. Which young team has a better chance of making a surprise World Series run this year? The Chicago White Sox or the San Diego Padres? All right, so I am going to take the White Sox in this instance. We debated this a little last week. We both like them coming into this year. I think they had a phenomenal offseason, re-signing Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal. They bring in Dallas Keuchel, who has, again, up and down throughout his career, but has good playoff experience for the most part. They have a good roster that is now a combination of the young players they have, the young great prospects that they have, as well as the the veterans they brought in. Tim Anderson was a batting champion last year. Yoan Moncada, and then now you add a Jose Abreu back. You had Edwin Encarnacion, who's been a very good playoff player throughout his career with the Blue Jays and with the Indians. Nomar Mazzara, a nice trade to help out their outfield. And again, this pitching staff has already been improving year by year. They have a lot of young starters. And again, that bullpen has been very good, very underrated last year with a a lot of the players that they had. I think the American League, too, is a little more top-heavy, where if the Yankees get knocked out, it's it's a wild card after that. Anyone can get there at that point. Whereas the National League, there's... A lot of different teams that could make it. There's no the Dodgers are the clear-cut guy, probably finished by the Braves, but there are, are other good teams. Whereas the American League, you have the Twins, maybe you fall back on the Rays, but the Twins have been bad in the playoffs. The Rays have been up and down in the playoffs, so that could open the door for something like the White Sox. And the White Sox, they know how to play the Twins. So if, again, if someone else knocks out the Yankees, you could definitely see a team like that do that. Whereas the Padres with a new manager, I, I just don't see it yet. They have a lot of question marks with their. Their lineup so depth. does Chicago. Their lineup depth, I think. I really think. They have the star power there, but I, I think they have a question with their lineup depth, and I don't see a first-year manager being able to do it right away. I'm not crazy about Rick Rennery as a manager, but he's gotten better over the Aaron last Boone couple of years. Aaron Boone took the Yankees to the playoffs his first year. No, I meant to the World Series, I'm talking yeah, about. Well, I'm not saying the Padres can't make the playoffs. I'm saying that it'll be harder for them with a brand-new manager and still kind of young talent all right away to be able to do it. The Yankees, on paper, were a more talented team right away and had some veterans in addition to their young players, too. Kind of like what the White Sox have now. Now, the Yankees, are obviously, were a lot better, but I think in terms of this instance, I'm going to take the White Sox in terms of over the Padres, though. Of course, Speedy just likes to yap his big mouth, but uh, that's okay. I let Speedy, if you guys don't know Debate Hour, I let Speedy pick the team that he wants, and I'm going to argue the other team. I think it's the Padres. The Padres are in the National League. And as much as you say the National League has a bunch of teams that could make the playoffs and could go all the way to the World Series, I beg to differ. I think the major leagues is really transitioning different. Every year it's different. When you look at the American League, it's very top-heavy. You have the Yankees over the years, the Red Sox. You have the Astros. You have the Anaheim Angels now this year. There are a lot of top-heavy good teams in the American League. In the National League, there's really one great team, and the rest of the teams are, they have their weaknesses and their strengths. I look at the Padres, they have a very good young team. They have Fernando Tatis, who's probably one of the best prospects in all of baseball. Manny Manny Machado. You have Will Myers right now, who's, they were talking about trading to the Red Sox. I don't think that went through. Right now, That's going to be a hard contract to trade. Eric Osmer, who is one of the best power hitters in baseball at his position. I mean, this team is stacked, and they have a very good young pitching staff. They have Panic, who looked very, very good last year. 
And he, this year, he's going to try to transition his game to a Cy Young candidate. There were talks last year. He took shots at Jacob DeGrom, took shots at Noah, Noah Syndergaard when he played him. I think Paddock needs to take a step back and understand that he's a young player. He needs to figure things out as a young pitcher. But this team is stacked. And in their division, their division is definitely winnable. And the National League is definitely winnable. The only team that they really have to look up to is the Dodgers. You talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. They're better this year with Didi Gregorius and Joe Girardi running at the helm. And then you also look at the... You look at some of the other teams like Pittsburgh, who is going to take a step back this year because of their lack of talent. There are a lot of teams, when you look at the National League, you don't know where they're going to be this year. They could be in first place or they could be in last place. That's the weakness of the National League. So I would take the Padres on that pick as well. Because I know you took Chicago, and I like Chicago this year. They're in the American League. And to me... There is a lot more firepower in the American League than there is in the National League. All righty. Number two, we're going to go to college sports this time. Which team in their respective sport was a bigger disappointment this season? North Carolina basketball or Alabama football? I know what you're going to pick. I'm so. going to take North Carolina. I actually am going to take them, even though they had the injury issues with Cole Anthony, Cole Anthony being their star player, there's still not an excuse for being under 500 and losing to a lot of teams in the ACC which have never been good in a while. When's the last time Pitt's been good? Georgia Tech, Clemson basketball, they made the tournament two years ago, but they're still not great. They're still not a, a team that scares you. Yeah, they lost some good teams. The ACC's always been good. It's been the best conference in college basketball until this year, really. And again, North Carolina dropping off the way they should, the way they did is does not help that. Roy Williams has been a good enough coach to be able to overcome it with his system in his past, the very makeshift fast-break offense, and they, he recruits very well. And a player like Cole Anthony going down, as good as he is, should not be an excuse for them being under 500 at this point. They have guys that can score, but they still can't play defense. They can rebound a little, but again, it's they have the veteran guys that should be able to do a little more. Garrison Brooks has been a good player for them. Brandon Robinson's been a good player for them in the past. The fact that they can't overcome that and at least be competitive, I'm not saying they should be a top 25 team, but at least be competitive where they should be an 8 or 9 seed projected in the tournament. They're not even close to the tournament right now, and it's going to take a miracle ACC tournament run for them to even get there. So I'm going to say North Carolina for sure. Oh, it's Alabama. Alabama. Alabama has been in the national title game how many times in the last four years? They didn't even make the playoffs. And to me, that's a that shows you. I'm not taking shots at Nick Saban. Maybe his recruiting class this year wasn't as good as the last couple of them. But this was one of the best teams in the nation. Some people picked Alabama to go all the way this year. They didn't even make the playoffs. So you have to take a shot at Alabama. They, they have a lot of good first-round talent that's coming out of this year's draft. When you see there have possible four first-round draft picks on this team, and they didn't even make the playoffs. They had Judy, who's one of the best wide receivers they, they've had since Amari Cooper and, and Julio Jones. Yeah. And they also had, uh, what's his name Ruggs. again? Uh, Ruggs, who is a top first-round draft pick as well. You have two caliber wide receivers coming out of the draft this year in the first round, and you couldn't even get into a playoff? So 11-2, it's not too shabby as far as a football record is, but when you're the Alabama Crimson Tide and you don't make the playoffs, to me, that's the biggest mockery of them all. I don't care about North Carolina because North Carolina, they're, they're good for like five years and then they're bad for the next two or three years. And then they come back and they're good and they win a national title. Alabama is supposed to be good every single year. They should be in the playoffs every single year. They have the best. They had the number two recruiting class in the nation this year. 
and they didn't even make the playoffs. So it's Alabama. All righty. Number three to the NBA. If this, if which team, if they were to fire their coach at the end of the season, would be a better fit to bring in Kenny Atkinson? I know the answer to this one. The Philadelphia 76ers or the Houston Rockets? I am going to take the Sixers. Now, this is all assuming they keep their core together. Now, there's been rumors that they might trade Ben Simmons. There's rumors they might trade Joel Embiid. This is all in in matter of They'd if they keep the core together. They'd be if they trade Joel Embiid. I, I agree. I'm just saying this is if they were to keep their core together. Then again, they are an idiot organization. Like the yeah, yeah, they haven't been very well run either. But again, somebody like Kenny Atkinson could definitely help them out. A defensive coach. They've needed defense for a long time. Brett Brown has been there for six or seven years, and they haven't gone anywhere with him. They've won a couple playoff series against weak East teams. That doesn't really say much for what this team has talent-wise. Yeah, you're right. Their front office has a lot to do with that in terms of not accumulating depth, making a lot of bad trades, overreacting in a lot of instances, and not getting enough shooters. But again, in terms of Kenny Atkinson's history with young players, it'll help the draft picks that they do have. Remember, they accumulated so many picks from 2017 and 2018 that could help them maybe that... Kenny Atkinson is the coach who took a Brooklyn Nets team with a lot of second-round picks to the playoffs last year. There's a better chance of him helping out in terms of his style of coaching to help out those young players. And then just let Simmons and Embiid and Horford and the other guys that they have there do just do what they do. And not to mention, Simmons and Embiid are still young, too. So who says he can't help along with them, too? So I'll take the Sixers. For oh, I'm t- absolutely taking the Rockets. The Rockets right now, they're a championship competitive team. The Sixers aren't. I'm sorry. Even in the Eastern Conference, as bad as the Eastern Conference is, the Sixers don't have a chance of coming out of the Eastern Conference, especially with Milwaukee there and, and the growth of some of the young players on the Boston Celtics. You look at Houston. Houston's a right, Houston Rockets are right there right now. If they add Kenny Atkinson, he can help the older players and help the older players develop a defensive style of game, something that they don't preach enough over there with Mike D'Antoni over there. You talk about Russell Westbrook and, and the, the star power that they have over there with James Harden. And, and they have young players like Austin Rivers, and they have veteran players like Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker. They need to play team defense. I think Kenny Atkinson preaches team defense. He preaches team offense. That's something the Rockets have not had. James Harden was a one-on-one player last year. That's why they were a playoff team. And then when they go into the playoffs, they can't play playoff basketball. They bring Russell Westbrook. He's a one-on-one player. He doesn't play team basketball either. And Chris Paul, before he went to Oklahoma City, he was a one-on-one player as well. He transitioned his game over there in Oklahoma City. Why? Because there's a coach that preaches team basketball. This is something that Houston has had a problem with for years. Really for years. Early years of the 90s. 94 with uh, with Hakeem Olajuwon and the team that they had over there with Vernon Maxwell and the players that they had. So I'm telling you right now, it's the Houston Rockets. If Kenny Atkinson is available for Houston to interview, I would I wouldn't even let him leave the office. He is the guy. He is the guy for the Houston Rockets. Alrighty, number four. We go to hockey for this one. Which team, if they were to miss the playoffs, would be more of a disappointment? The Toronto Maple Leafs or the Nashville Predators? This is close. I think it's very interesting. Not even either close. Way. Not even close. I'm going to take Nashville, though, because I think their roster has a lot more balance than the Leafs do. The Leafs, we kind of knew what they were. They're going to score a lot, but their, their defense is awful, and they're going to give up a lot of goals. Whereas Nashville, they have defense. They have talented offensive players, veteran offensive players, but still talented offensive players where they should be able to do a lot more than they have. Now, again, their division is a lot better. I'm not going to deny that. The Central Division, I think, is the best division in hockey. you got the Blues. you got the Avalanche. you got... 
Minnesota, Chicago. They've been good teams. Dallas, they got a lot of good teams in that division. But again, they still have all the talent in the world. They bring in Duchesne in the offseason. They still got Victor Arvitz in there. Mikhail Granlund, they got at the trade deadline. And again, a goalie tan, and that was supposed to be very good. Pecorino has struggled this year. Above three GAA for him this year. Defensively, they've had some issues more than they ever had after trading Subban. Their defense got better with Subban last, or without Subban last year, but again, this year it has not been the same. So I, I really think when you look at a balanced roster, a talented roster like Nashville, being a bubble team this year, I'm not saying they should have been first or second in their division because I think St. Louis and Colorado are both very good too, but they should at least be above Dallas and Minnesota, who's kind of rebuilding, Chicago, who's had cap issues. I think they should at least be above them, so I'm going to say Nashville. Oh, it's the Maple Leafs. They paid John Tavares a lot of money two years ago. This is a guy that is expected to take this team. They gave him the C over Marner and Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is his, their best player. Next year, he's a, After next year, he's a free agent. Are they going to bring him back? They have five players that are taking... Actually, Austin Rivers has, Austin Matthews has two or three more years left of his contract. But I, I say Austin Rivers because it's Austin Matthews, the same name. But Austin Matthews is the best player on the team. And he's not even a leader of the team. When you look at this team, five of the players take up practically the whole salary of this team in this organization. You have... Kids like Mitch Marner, who's one of the best young superstars in the league. He gave him a five-year deal in the offseason. He's taking up a, a huge, significant part of your salary. He's making close to $10 million. Austin Matthews is averaging close to $10 million a year as well. And then you have Tavares making almost $11 million a year. You've got three players. Three players making more than most teams' first two lines are making. Okay, so when, when you think about it that way... It's the Leafs. The Leafs are expected to win now. If they don't win now, they're not going to win ever. And Austin Matthews, like I said, only has two, three years left of this team. He's leaving the Maple Leafs. He's not staying with the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs are not going to be able to afford him, and he wants out of Toronto. He's wanted out of Toronto for the last couple of years. I wouldn't be so surprised if they trade him after this season. So I look at this team. This team is very talented, very talented, and a lot of speed. If they're not, If they're not going to win this year... They're never going to win ever. They need to make the playoffs this year. They're the team right now, in my eyes, if they can sneak into the playoffs, which they're right now they're a playoff team. If they can they're sneak only up in, by one point right yeah, now over Florida, though. If they can sneak into the playoffs, they could be as dangerous as any team in the Ameri- in the uh, in the um, NHL, NA, not in the NHL, Eastern Conference, in the Eastern Conference, in the Eastern Conference. So I'm going to take Toronto. Alrighty, last but not least, we go to the NFL. Why all the time when? I'm talking, the music goes off. Because the ads pop up. Because you don't shut up. That's why. All right. Which new NFLPA Board of Representatives player had the better single season? Richard Sherman in 2012 with the Legion of Boom, the original Legion of Boom, or Calais Campbell in 2017 with that Saxonville defense? So this is really close. I had a no, tough it's time. Not. No, it's not. It's not even close. You really, you really th- don't think it's close? No. All right, I'll let you go first then for this one, because I think it's close. It's Calais Campbell. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you why. Winning championships, you need a pass rush. Calais Campbell, that year, 2017, he was the best, one of the best top three pass rushers in the league. How many, how many sacks did he have? 14 and a half sacks. He had 14 tackles for losses. And that, that was coming from the Arizona Cardinals being traded to the Jaguars. So when you think about Calais Campbell and what he did for the Jaguars that year, they were supposed to go to the Super Bowl last year, that year. 
But they got knocked out by the New England Patriots. Him getting hurt was a big reason why. And who won the Super Bowl that year? The Eagles. The Eagles. And who did they play in the Super Bowl? The New England Patriots. Who knocked off the Jaguars? The New England Patriots. So, just think. If the Jaguars played the Philadelphia Eagles, they matched up better against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Jaguars could have been Super Bowl champions. And what the Jaguars did with a backup quarterback that year was incredible. Their defense was the best defense in the league land that year. They had the best secondary. They had the best pass rush. They were number one in practically every single category. And by the way, they were the number one team when it came to sacks that year as well. And the reason why? Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell got to the quarterback at will. And this is a guy that didn't even come from that that defense. He came from a, a Todd Bowles defense. So I, I look at Calais Campbell and look at pass rushing. What wins championship? Defense wins championship. I'm not saying Richard Sherman is not a big part of winning championship. How many championships did Richard Sherman win with those great defenses of the Legion of Boom? He won one. He went to two Super Bowls. Okay? I'm sorry. It's Calais Campbell by a long shot. And Calais Campbell, what he did in 2017 to help the Jaguars go as far as they did with a backup quarterback is remarkable. Richard Sherman had Russell Wilson. Yes, he was a young Russell Wilson, but he was a young superstar Russell Wilson that was making plays in the open field, using his feet to get get into the open field and make plays. It wasn't all about defense as much as you think it was. Why did they win the Super Bowl they, that year? Was it that year? It was 2012? That, that was the year after. It was the year after. They won that Super Bowl because of Russell Wilson, not because of their defense. How many points did they score in that game? 43, but some of them were also special teams yeah. of defense too, though. Yes. But the majority of them came from the offense. And because of Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson, who was the MVP of that game. So No, he wasn't. Malcolm Smith was. Malcolm Smith was? Yeah. I was Malcolm Smith. Yes, it was. Malcolm Smith was. But I believe Russell Wilson had a good enough game to win the MVP. I was very surprised Russell Wilson didn't win the MVP of that game. That's why I thought he did win. But, again, I'm, I, I think it was Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell was... The, one of the best defensive players that year, especially at his position where they're stacked with J.J. Watt and all the different pass rushes that they had in 2017. So it's Calais Campbell. I, I would have thought if anyone were to win MVP that was an offensive player in that Super Bowl, it would have been Percy Harvin because he also had a kick return touchdown too. All right, so I'll take Richard Sherman. I'll take the side of it. Like I said, I think it is very close. 14 and a half sacks for a power-rushing interior defensive lineman who also played end, too, but is very impressive. But I also think eight interceptions is very impressive, too. Remember, this was a team that didn't have much in the way of pass rush in 2012, so they had to really rely on the secondary to come up. They signed Michael Bennett in 2013. They signed Cliff Averill in 2013. That really helped their pass rush later on. They had Chris Clemens, who had a good year that year. And they had some good interior guys, but they really, the strength of the team was really the linebackers and in, and in the secondary. And I think eight interceptions as a corner is something that's very hard to do in just overall, no matter who you are. Richard Sherman was a great corner at that time. I don't think he's the best corner in football, but he, he was one of them. And eight interceptions in that kind of year with, again, not a lot of pass rush, led the league in pass deflections with 24, which, again, is hard to do when, again, a lot of shutdown corners are thrown away from in today's game now. And that really started with guys like Richard Sherman, guys like Patrick Peterson later on. Obviously, Deion Sanders did it first, but there wasn't anyone like Deion Sanders. So that would have been hard to come by. Darrell Revis then did it later on. So the notion of to throw at these guys still is very impressive. And Richard Sherman had eight interceptions. Granted, he had talent around him, but so did Jacksonville. So I think that kind of cancels in a sense. Both defenses were the best defense in football. Both teams 
did well in the playoffs. Both teams didn't go to the Super Bowl. Both teams did well in the playoffs. And I think Sherman's year just as a whole, having eight interceptions, leading that defense where they didn't really have other second corners either at that time. Brandon Browner was a rookie that really wasn't that good. They had Jeremy Lane, who was nothing special. And they didn't really have the pass rush, whereas, again, I think... In 2013 and 2014, when they had the pass rush, that's where you could credit them more. So I'm, I'll take Sherman for this one. I have to, I have to move you along because you don't shut up, Speedy. You just keep on going and going and going. But I'll just let you guys know, this is why I think Russell Wilson should have been the MVP of Super Bowl 48. Threw for 206 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a passing rating of 123.1, which is the most ever in a Super Bowl game. So... That's why I thought Russell Wilson should have won the MVP of Super Bowl 48. He didn't. Uh, Smith won it, but there you go. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen, for Debate Hour. And that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, I'd like to thank Mike Hepp for joining us. I'd like to thank Brendan for calling the show, a new caller yeah. from Wisconsin. Thank you for calling the show. And remember, guys, you can follow us and call us at 631-965-4990. Remember, you can follow us by going to our website at WorldWideSportsRadio.com and follow us on all our social medias from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, um, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. Uh, radio.com and all the digital platforms and you can watch us and listen to us on every single podcast pa- platform in America. So if you guys missed our show or you want to listen to our show or listen to our interview with M- Mike Cap, check us out. Go to radio.com. Go to TuneIn Radio. We'll have the replays after this show. Speedy, that's it for our show, man. It was a great show. Very good show. Very good interview, too. Yeah, it really was. And I, I'd like to thank uh, Joe from the fire department for hooking us up with Mike uh, Happ and, and a, a fantastic story behind Mike Happ and, and really what he's doing right now for recovery, uh, recovering uh, people out there that are uh, drug abusers and and dr- uh, drinking addicts, you know, so it's incredible. It's an incredible story. So definitely check out his website. Uh, we will be back for Below the Mic on Thursday at 6 p.m. Until then, this is Alan Marks at Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.